Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, the host of the Balanced Parent Podcast. And on this episode, we're going to do something a little bit differently. I'm going to let you listen in on one of the group coaching calls that I had recently in my membership, Balancing You. You may have been following along with the reactivity to responsiveness challenge. And if you have, then you know that I have decided to move all of my courses and programs into my membership. And starting next week on October 10th, we're going to be doing my program, Parenting from Within, as a part of the membership, which means you get to have my biggest program for the monthly rate of Balancing You. So I wanted to give you a taste of what it's like to be in a group coaching program with me, what it's like to hop into a Zoom room and get to discuss the kind of ins and outs of being a conscious parent. In this conversation, we were really digging into releasing old mindsets that kind of keep us trapped in punitive parenting, the desire to teach a lesson and give a consequence. The folks that are with me in the room have been dedicating themselves to non-punitive parenting for well over a year, and this work is ongoing for all of us. So I'd love to have you listen into this conversation about really firmly keeping that mindset shift in place, and I hope that it helps you. And I hope it gives you a little bit of a taste so that you can see if balancing you is right for you. We'd love to have anybody in there who is wanting to make these changes in their lives and wants to continue contribute to loving and compassionate community. So if you think it might be right for you, feel free to reach out to me and check it out. Um, If you're considering Parenting from Within, we'd love to have you do the program with us as we run it live in the membership in the months of October and November and this fall. You can check all of that out at www.laurafryan.com slash PFW to learn more about parenting from within and everything that's inside of it. If you just want to check out the membership in general, you think it's time to get some on the ground support, some weekly space for you to ask questions, chance to be on the podcast, get coached by me for free. Uh, you can check that out at laurafryan.com membership. You can join in both of those ways. And again, all of my courses and all of my programs are now inside the membership. So if you've ever thought about taking a class with me, this is the time. I hope to see you in there and I hope you enjoy this group coaching call. I hope that it is meaningful for you and that you learned something. All right, take good care. Hey, everybody. Janine is here with us and we're talking about siblings and how to handle it when one sibling finds the other sibling eternally annoying and then says hurtful things. Um, and we're kind of commiserating because my, my oldest is in a little bit of that phase too. Um, I was thinking the other day about the book Mean Girls and, or sorry, the movie Mean Girls and how they have in that movie, there's a burn book where they write like insults <laughs> about people in their class in it and I'm not advocating we do that for our kids but it did make me think about like there's times when kids need to say some like the truth about how they feel about their sibling and we don't want them to say it out loud where the sibling can hear because they have a relationship and that's our job to protect the relationship right and so we were talking about how if our kids are writing writing them down and on a little piece of paper writing down the things that they really like really truly feel at some points about their siblings 
um, writing it down and then burning it or writing it on the kind of the flying wish paper that we've talked about before here might be a solution for letting, giving them an opportunity to express the feelings that they're having, um, their loathing of their sibling, whatever it is, privately and then releasing it. Um, so we were chatting about that and then Janine just asked me how to handle it like when they actually do say something hurtful to the other one. So in the moment, especially with reactive kids in the moment, it's hard to set a, a limit. If they're saying that, they're already likely down the river. So if they're saying something really negative about their, their sibling, they're likely already a little bit gone, um, harder to reach, harder to problem solve with. So kind of diffusing, getting the little one away, getting some space for the big one, getting a, a listening ear for the big one where the little one can't, you know, I'm saying big and littles because that's the dynamic I have in my house, um, but getting some space for the sibling who's having a hard time um, and a listening ear for them. But it is okay, I think, to say, you know, it, in our family, it's one of our values to be kind. And so if you, if you can't do that, it's okay to take a break. If you can't speak kindly, I'll help you, you know, move somewhere private. Um, it's also helpful to empower the one who is maybe having some hurtful things. I'm um, saying like, you know, honey, there's nothing wrong. You know, the my youngest is very silly and gets on the oldest nerve. And, you know, reassuring her, honey, there is nothing wrong with your silliness. It's just bothering Ellie right now. It doesn't always bother her. Sometimes she loves your silliness. Let's you and me go and get some space. And so kind of teaching them to hold that boundary for themselves too around like we don't have to take in the negative things that someone else is saying when really what's happening is that they're having a hard time. It's not really about us at all. It's about them. So I'm not sure if that's helpful, Janine, at all. Um, no, 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 that's good. Thank you. All right, great. All right, so Annie, you submitted a question. How are you doing? I'm so happy to be here. I think yeah. this is the first coaching call that I've been able to be here for and submit a question for. I didn't even know that it was a group coaching day. And I've not been able to be on your office hours in like weeks because of the summer. So well, it's I'm good so happy to be here. Then. Yeah. Well, so you had a question then about your, your kiddos, about your nine-year-old, especially getting dysregulated, especially when he has to wait. Is that right? No. They're dysregulated. Okay. So like you yes. gave a very specific example around like dinner time. Do you want to just tell me what's going on? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the specific example that I was trying to describe with words was um, like in the after school hours. I mean, he's been amazing this school year, like really holding it together. But there was just one day last week where he wasn't holding it together. And I was actually in a really good place. I've been in a really good place. A lot of the things we've talked about have been coming together really nicely, but it was one of those days where stuff was hitting the fan. And um, I was trying really hard to just have like dinner with the kids. And he was really in a place where he was melting down and I was trying to talk him down from his body being in the red zone. He was screaming and loud and he was bothering his sister who was like, my ears hurt earlier at school. He screamed in her ear and she's like, why does he have to scream in my ear? And it was really sad for me to see her suffering because of his dysregulated state. And what was for dinner that night, unfortunately included rice. And I've already accepted the fact that it's hard for him to use utensils, which we've talked about in this setting. And so I was barely like holding the three of them together at dinner and the doorbell rang. So I had to go answer the doorbell. And in the moment, I, it's like, he's not a nine-year-old when he's dysregulated. It's like, he's a three-year-old. And so in the moment when he was, and I was trying to like keep him away or do all the things, but it just in that moment wasn't happening. And in the moment where I stepped away, I came back and like, there was rice just smeared everywhere on the floor, on the walls, like just everywhere. And I knew that he just needed to get away. Like we had already tried climbing and exercising and all the sensory stuff. And I, you know, the old me would have yelled at him and caused shame. And I didn't, I don't want to do that. Like, I, I don't want him to feel shame for moments where he's dysregulated because I recognize that he's dysregulated and he doesn't have control. He doesn't want to be doing that. But I also like need to address him, need to address the fact that shit's hitting the fan in my household and that there's rice all over the place. And I also know that he's not a four-year-old and that he has to understand that 
when he smears rice all over the place, there's going to be a natural consequence of having to clean it up. But in that moment, he's actually not able to clean it up. He's just not like he's not like a regular kid who spills stuff and then has to clean it up. He, he can't do it in that moment. So I'm just trying to understand how I can. I mean, so there's a difference, right, between like accidentally tripping and spilling your bowl of rice you know, and then having it have been spread out during the midst of uh, a nervous system meltdown, which is what's right. Right. Yeah. And he might be able to help clean up when it's an accident, but when it is this thing that's happening in the mid, he's still really dysregulated. It would be hard for anybody to, in the midst of your dysregulation, come back online and then clean up willingly. I don't know any kid who gets dysregulated at, to the level that you're, you know, talking about who could do that. Right. So the question is, right. So like, I, like, I'm an ER doctor, so I know like ABCs, you have to just like, he needs to be removed from the situation. And then I need to like take care of the mess and deal with the other kids. But in terms of teaching him, natural consequences without inducing shame and me like taking my deep breath so I don't lose it on everybody I just don't know how to teach him natural consequences about that like it is not okay for you to smear rice all over the place it is not okay for that for like you need to hold it together and when you feel like you're going to smear rice all over the place maybe you need, that need you need to step back because if you're going to smear rice all over the place your consequence is going to be that you're going to have to clean it up like I'm just so sick and tired of cleaning rice all over the place because I actually have a four-year-old and I'm cleaning rice all over from like all over the place when he does it. And that's age appropriate. And for my nine-year-old, like for the most part, we're getting it together so that he doesn't have to do it. But when he's dysregulated, I want him to be aware of like what the consequences are. So I'm just trying to like understand how I can do it in a way that's going to be loving and not cause him to have self-hatred and shame. Okay. So first of all, let me just on one, like, do you think he thinks it's okay to smear rice all over the place? Like, right, if you met him, like, on a very well-regulated, he's, like, top of his game, like, super connected, cheerful time in his life, and you asked, is it a, like, is it a good idea to smear rice all over? What would he say? You know, part of his, what makes him quirky is he doesn't really see the problem with it. Like, he doesn't care. It's like he would, if I would like have a conversation with him when he was like feeling totally great is I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, there's rice on the floor. Can we, can I have some help? Can we clean it up together? He'd be like, he'd negotiate with me for 10 hours about why it's not such a big deal. Right. But he probably like knows, don't you think he probably knows like, right. Like we don't want to just walk around with rice on the floor all the time. Yeah. I mean, right. So at the beginning, when we first started talking, you said he's not choosing to do this, right? Right. Hard time. And so the the hard thing about consequences is, is that if the child is in a completely dysregulated state where they really don't have a lot of control and they're not choosing to do something, the whole idea of consequences is that we think it will somehow make them make better choices. But for your kid in this circumstance, when they're so dysregulated, they're not make that part of the brain that's making the choices is offline, right? So consequences are wonderful opportunities for learning when you have a child who's just kind of like having fun and like drawing on the walls or, you know, the like my kids really want to be able to have fun and jump on my couch. And I have one couch that they're not allowed to jump in on the house and I consistently remove them they get the consequence of me preventing them jumping on them all the time and those are the things they don't like it but they know that that's the rule but they're not dysregulated when they're jumping on it and if they are dysregulated and having like a meltdown and are throwing my couch cushions off which has happened you know from time to time no amount of me setting limits around the couch will change that behavior the throwing of the couch cushions off you see like so it's a what it comes down to is our expectations. And so when he's having one of those days where it's really hard, you having the, for us, it's hard. Like, I, and Annie, I have so much compassion for you. Just so much. And I, Jen is nodding to Janina's nodding. We all have one of these kids. So you're not alone in this, okay? You're held and you're safe here and you're not doing anything wrong. 
the the parenting books and the mainstream parenting classes and even like my respectful parenting 101 class are not made for these kiddos they're just not and so i just want to hold you in in love and light annie and we can all maybe offer a little bit of that to ourselves and when we're on the top of our game and we see our kid having one of those days our we need to have almost like a triage process of removing expectations, right? So now we know that rice is really hard. It's really hard to keep in the bowl. It's really hard for him to eat normally, but on a dysregulated day, rice doesn't work for him. And so that might mean he doesn't have it on his plate that day. Or that might mean when you're sitting at the table and it's working and you are having that expectation of him eating rice, that you wouldn't have the expectation of him being able to sit at the table without you there. So that when the doorbell rings, we have some other way to kind of emergency plan see the situation. So we're thinking, okay, he right now in this moment, he's not capable of sitting here without me. He's going to mess with his siblings. He's going to be destructive. He's not capable of sitting here without me. So we either say, hey, buddy, you're nine. Do you want to go be the person who answers the door? Like, and see if he can, like, like pull it together for some responsibility and autonomy that feels good to bigger kids. Um, Would you like to come with me to answer the door and see who's at the door? Um, or just if you're not up for that, because we all are humans too, and sometimes we're like, thank God the doorbell, I can <laughs> leave for five minutes. Just take the take the take the food with with you too, you know. Yeah. Um, what do you th- What are you thinking? Like, I feel like I just talked for a long time, Annie. I mean, that all makes sense. Is like I think experience teaches you like to move forward, and so this was really the first time in a long time that I had tools to see him in this light of what he can do and what he can't do um, and kind of really see him with compassion. I did have like a really interesting, challenging conversation with my husband who sees him very differently and just feels like our roles are different. And he's like, he should be able to. And I, if I were there, I would have just done this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you, he, he was not in a place where he was able to receive that. And, you know, like at this point, there's a big difference in how he feels when he's around me and around my husband. And I've also done a lot of work on myself because I can't control their relationship and I can't control what happens between them. I can just offer love and compassion to everybody involved in the situation. And, you know, there's just so much work and so much healing and so much on this journey. But, you know, in that moment, I myself knew that he just, it wasn't what he was able to do. And there are moments where he is able to do it. So look at that beautiful knowledge, Annie, look at that beautiful knowledge of your kid that you're cultivating that very detailed, nuanced knowledge of your child. And that beautiful, compassionate lens, Annie, seeing that this is he's a good kid who was just incapable of something different in the moment. Right. There is that fear um, that I didn't put into the question like to you, but it's just, you know, I feel like I always need your words to help me counter the argument that my husband gives me, which is our job as parents is to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. Our job as parents is to teach them right from wrong. Our job as parents is to guide them and, you know, set expectations. And when we don't, it's almost like enabling bad behavior. It's just how we grew up. It's how I was raised and it's how my husband was raised. And I don't, I philosophically fear raising a child who is going to lean into his label of neurodiverse and use it as a crutch. These words are not my words. They're my husband's biggest fears, but I kind of buy into them a little bit. But I fear that he's going to say, 
I can't do this because of these labels. And he doesn't even have any labels yet. We've gotten him extensively tested and he doesn't even have any labels, but we all know everybody who interacts with him on a professional level knows he's a little different, right? There's no actual label. He doesn't really meet criteria for anything. Just he's weird, right? Like he does, he has moments where he just does things that are a little off, but he's not autistic and doesn't have ADHD and he doesn't have anxiety and he doesn't really fall into any neat box, mm. but he's just, quirky or you know he's on box you know yeah Yeah. and it's great but I don't want him I just don't want the fact that I meet him with compassion and understanding and releasing the expectation to go too far you know what I mean like I need you to counter that (laughs) so teaching right from wrong having expectations showing them kind of what our values are and what good people do, no one's asking you to release any of those things at all, Annie. And your husband too, if he happens to listen to this. I think we all believe that kids need those things. Even my my super quirky kid tells me she really likes that I have rules because that knows, then she knows how to be successful. <laughs> you know, even though she like pushes back against them and acts like she hates them, she's actually very glad that she has them. So expectations are are, are not going anywhere. And it's responding with compassion to a child who's having a hard time is not the same thing as saying to them, it's okay for you to smear rice all over the floor. Please go do that again. You know, like they're not the same thing. We can, it's a, it's not an either or it's a both. And Hey buddy, dinner was rough tonight, huh? I did not like having to clean up so much rice. So I think, you know, that was hard. I bet it was hard for you too. And just like with a little bit of compassion, you know, just a little bit of compassion for yourself, compassion for them, if they can take that. Some kids can't. Um, and if your kid can't take that, then you already know that they're punishing themselves enough for it. Uh, by nine, I guarantee he's already got stuff going on in his head. Even if you don't hear about it on the outside. I know he does. Yeah. He really, really, really does. Yeah. Oh, I see that that brought something up for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that they know, anybody who says they don't know, they're full of it. They know. They don't need to learn a lesson that smearing rice all over the floor isn't okay. They know that 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 doesn't happen at school, that their friends who aren't doing that, they know that they're different. You know, they know... They know and if they could do better they would in that moment and no amount of us forcing them to fix it is going to give them that control in fact it's going to deepen their sense of shame and self kind of self messiness you know and make them even more dysregulated punitive kind of things often make this stuff worse rather than better jen what were you going to say So my very logical husband who resists the whole compassionate story too, (laughs) um, responded very well to the prioritization aspect. When I would hold up a story like that and say, listen, we expect that our kid can sit at the table and eat rice while I go get the doorbell and not smear it all over the walls. That is an expectation that I agree is a perfectly reasonable expectation. He's clearly not meeting that expectation today so we have a few choices right can we can decide that this is our number one most important thing and figure out what to do about it so that this isn't something that he continues to struggle with or we can find a way all those great plan c's that you mentioned earlier making him go get the door bringing the food with you all of those possibilities are the ways that I make it so that I'm just not gonna address this right now. And I'm gonna trust that he's gonna grow into his own <laughs> and figure out how to handle this on his own. Maybe I'll need to do some explicit teaching for him at some point later. Maybe he'll do it on his own. Time will tell. But I literally had to show him, my husband, the list of all of our unsolved problems and say, look, these are the ones I'm giving all my attention to. And he agreed, oh, I'm on a business trip in the hotel. But yeah, when he saw 
the ones that I was prioritizing, these are the ones that I'm giving my attention to because I agree, we need to have consequences that teach them. We need to have real conversations that make sure that they know the, the right from wrong in this situation. And I have bandwidth to handle these. I can do the rice thing and we can shovel one of these off. Is that how you would like this to go? No, <laughs> no, no, no. And that made it really, really easy for him to just sit back and watch me deprioritize a lot of those day-to-day -day disasters without panicking because he knew, first of all, the rice thing would be on my list. Absolutely. Sitting at the table and being, and being able to eat a meal without mommy there for five seconds while I go to get the door is an expectation that I would want on my list of unsolved problems because that's something I would someday want to fix, but just not right now. Because look at the top two or three that I've got right now. They're much bigger, much more involved. I've already thrown six solutions at it and they have all needed tweaking because I've got that record there. I show my work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really documenting. And I that helps. How methodical you are on that, Jen. Um, Annie, have you gone through, like, uh, you know, so Jenna's talking about from a, like, from, she does the the collaborative and proactive solutions approach to problem solving in a very detailed manner. She kind of follows it pretty to the letter, which is so awesome. Have you gone through like an ALSEP, um, an assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems that is freely available on Dr. Green's website? I know that you've dabbled a little bit in it, but have you kind of sat um, down and done it? No, I haven't. I haven't yet. I started reading um, the book, but I kind of got sidetracked with some other growth things. <laughs> well, I, it sounds to me like you've been doing, you've kind of just in engaging with it, you've been doing a lot of plan seeing already, the kind of the releasing expectations for now, setting aside expectations for now um, and doing the mindset shifting, which is so powerful. But if you are having kind of some consistent things that come up kind of over and over again, those are the things to start thinking about. How can I be a little bit more proactive, a little bit more kind of ahead of it instead of feeling, I don't know if you feel like this, but sometimes like we can be chugging along and then all of a sudden I'm putting out a bunch of fires and I get one fire put out and then another one's getting put out. And that like the having doing through the kind of methodological process, you know, method, no, methodical, <laughs> methodical, that's the word, process of, of writing down very specifically, what are the expectations that my child is having difficulty meeting, which ones are like the most problematic right now for us um, that we're going to prioritize, as Jen was talking about, and then working through a plan B um, problem solving conversation with them can be so helpful. Yeah, like I, I did plan B a couple of times I tried to do plan B with him. I don't know why I was unsuccessful. I sat for like a couple of hours with him with like two or three different issues that we were having. And he just kept reverting back to the original issue that we were having, um, just like how to handle entering the house after school and also like how he would like for me to tell him it's time to get off the iPad it's possible went, that you were trying to do too much all in one session. Separate. Yeah. Oh, Separated by weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These were each individual things. And each time, like I kind of like very academically approached it. And I don't know, he's very, um, like he might be a lobbyist one day. He's like, or on the Supreme Court, he's just so methodical and like can take down every single argument and when his mind is made up about something. So in, in problem solving, that would actually be really great and wonderful that we would want that because there's in problem solving, there's no us convincing him that he needs to do something a certain way. So the, in the problem solving process, that first empathy step, which is where the kid is doing most of the talking, we're really just trying to understand why he's, why, what is it about this expectation that is hard to meet, you know? And so there's none, like, there's, I don't know that, you know, like. He doesn't play ball, like, what I recall is that he just, like, wouldn't play ball with me. I don't know, it's, <laughs> it, it, like, oh, 
you know, it's just because my sister's annoying. Like, that's why I hit her. Well, that's, you know, like, that's why I hit her when we get it, when we get out of the car. Okay. Well, she's there. There's nothing that I can do about it. I can put you guys in different rows in my car. I mean, I wasn't giving him those solutions. Those were the solutions I wanted to blurt out, but you know, well, you could just, you know, leave her at school. I mean, like really like things that I, I, he would not play ball with me about certain things or think like he would just give me really out of the box solutions to the problems that just obviously I could not work they were not workable magical like magical thinking like oh if I didn't have a sister everything would be great yeah okay yeah, well, yeah. wouldn't the world be so great <laughs> like oh it's so hard Annie yeah um I suggest you wrap around and try again yeah and usually in my experience, when kids are throwing out kind of the like the magical solutions or they kind of the ideal and the fantasy, they need a little bit more empathy. They need a little bit more in the empathy step because they need to feel really understood that like actually my life would just be a lot easier if I didn't have a little sister. You know, like they need some time in that empathy step too. And it they might try to jump to solutions, right? You know, so they might say like, well, it's really hard getting out of the car because my sister's so annoying and that's why I hit her. And if I didn't have a sister, like, well, like that's what we should do. We should just get rid of her, you know? And you can be like, okay, well, hold on just a second. We're, we're jumping to solutions. I want to understand this. Tell me more. You said your sister annoys you. What is it about her that's so annoying? And is that annoying? You know, is she able to tell you? Okay, is that just like when you're getting out of the car is that in the in the car ride like really breaking it all down like into the like the nitty-gritty of of what he's saying and I know there's times too where kids will say things and in your head you're like that's not what's actually wrong here right like that's not what the actual problem is do you know and Jen do you ever experience that with your kids where they will say like it's because of this and like you know that it's not really because of this. Absolutely. And I give them the dignity of following that line of reasoning. Oh, okay. Well, if it was, yeah, if it was this, then um, we'll put that on the list. What else could it be? Yeah. <laughs> Write it down. And I feel like sometimes they do that because they need, they intuitively know, like, I need to like get something out about this. I need, like, this is one of the biggest problems in my life right now, you know, and it might have nothing really to do with what we're talking about, but I've got a captive audience and now I, I'm going to use it for what it, you know, use it for. So just going with it and then say, and what else could it be? And go it, you know, and seeing, but you know, if he's talking to you, there's no reason to stop a problem solving session. Even if he's like not really playing ball, like I would just keep going if he. Does this work for like moments of dysregulation? Like, does it work for, oh, remember how like, you know, sometimes you smear rice all over the place or sometimes when you're dysregulated, you hit your sister or does it only work for things where they're regulated, like problems of, for moments of regulation, so of regulated yeah, types. It's such a good question. So, the dysregulate, like if we think about this, you know, the the river analogy that I I like to use. The dysregulation is a moment when they're like on their raft going through the rapids, right? The water is churning. There's rocks everywhere. They're just hanging on for dear life, trying to survive that moment. Maybe, maybe they've been thrown out of the boat and they're just in the water with their life vest on. Right. So those are those moments of dysregulation. Problem solving attempt is not actually like aiming at anything that is happening while they're in those rapids. Not anything that's happening. Like we're not trying to keep them in the boat at the, in this problem solving like moment. It has nothing to do with the rapids. It has to do with what sent them down the rapids in the first place. And so if you feel like when you are having a problem solving conversation with your son and he's talking about what happens in the rapids, smearing rice is what happens in the rapids, you know, like hitting his sisters, what happens in the rapids. If he's talking about those things, it's our job to bring him upstream to where he actually before he's triggered, before he's dysregulated. And I wouldn't recommend doing a problem solving conversation for something that is like a one off thing yeah. or something that is hyper general, like super general. So like being, you know, dysregulated after school, you would never want to do a problem solving conversation about that because it's way too broad, you know, um, you know, difficulty, even like something like difficulty using kind words with your sister after school, the using kind words indicates that you, that he's already 
in the like it go heading into the rapids and so you want to be working at upstream so that you're not focusing on anything that has to do with what he's doing while he's in the rapids does that make sense yeah it makes 100 percent sense and you know like for for how his behavior has been so far this school year th there are some things i can think about where i can apply the problem solving but for the most part like this like after school dysregulation it's after school dysregulation that many kids have. And unfortunately with him, it was just more intense because he's he's who he is, but there really wasn't much that I could have done to prevent it because that's how the school delivered him to me. He was just in that zone. Absolutely. Um, and you know, those are from for my kid who gets that too, having some very like go-to things that soothe their nervous system can be so good too. Do you know what those are for him? What helps him kind of come back into his body and Get so we again. spent a lot of time over the summer trying to get the list of things that would help him. And he, you know, in that moment, was it was so hard for him to get to doing those things. Legos, reading a book, climbing, the sack that you were talking about. Yeah. But even when he was doing all those things, it still didn't help him. Like he was scaling our, our wall outside of our house. He was scaling it and he likes rock climbing. I'm like, okay, do it. It's great. But um none of that until the moment of the rice and then he on his own because I was begging him to go read and build Legos and he wouldn't then after the rice and I was like he I, I wasn't yelling but he could see I think in just he, he could see my exasperation I didn't say anything unkind I didn't raise my tone I was just breaking on the inside he was like I'm gonna go read now <laughs> just like went to his room and read that's beautiful. Yeah. See, and that like that's a glimmer too of hope for you, I hope, because that realization will come earlier and earlier. It takes a lot of practice. Like self-knowledge is freaking hard. Like knowing yeah. yourself, recognizing your internal states and what you need, it's hard. I most of, of the adults I work with don't know how to do that. Like literally don't know how to read their own internal cues and figure out what their body is telling them. It's also hard because he, I think he views going away as a punishment, right? Like he was just like, I'm in the red zone, but why does that mean I need to be away from people? And it's challenging, like, right? Like how you need to be away from people, A, because you're really bothering them. You're screaming in a bee's ear. It's like painful and you're, you're hitting people, but also because like you need, you know, decreased sens sensation and he wants to be around me right? There's this, like, I need my mother. Like, there's still that dynamic between all the three kids after school, but I can't give him me because the other kids need me. And he feels banished, so to speak, in his room. So I don't know how to make him understand. And I think in a moment of regulation, like calmness, it, I need to further explain to him that even though I'm not there, it's not a punishment. It's just, you know, this is just what we need to do to soothe our nerves, right? Like, this is just what we need to or take care of Instead of explaining to him, like, helping him come to that conclusion on his own. And, like, maybe building a, like, after-school routine that where he does those things first. Like, are you usually home and then you go get them from school? Um. Yeah, so, I mean, there, it depends. Like, we have thank God, finally a carpool, but sometimes I get the kids to come home at the same time. And sometimes I pick up a couple of other kids and they spend some time at our house and then I have the, the, my kids at home. So it just depends. Like if Legos are his thing, right? Like you could work out something with him where if you're home or he's coming home, you have like maybe in his room, you have some Legos. He has a Lego table or something where he do does Legos. But putting a little snack and a cup of tea for him that you've set there and is waiting for him. And when he comes in, like, guess what? I set up your Legos and a cup of tea and a snack just for you. Why don't you go check it out? And I'll be in there in just a few minutes to check on you. And then he can go have his quiet time. You could take care of the other kids. 
and then go because they're all seeking they're all seeking co-regulation from you right and you only have right. one body right and then the what's beautiful like you know what the co-regulation people don't talk about is that when there's more than two people in a room and they're all family members they're all co we're all co-regulating with everybody yeah. some kids are co-dysregulating you know and <laughs> bouncing off of each other and i feel like there's some I should probably do it. Like, but like, there's I, there's no marriage and family therapy voice talking about co-regulation. I'm like, it's a, it's a system. It's a family system. They're all yeah. feeding off of everybody, and one person with three kids who've all been at school all day. It's a lot, you know. So having a little like regulation ritual for all of them that you can set them up with separately and then bounce between, like might be really nice you know if you or like if two of them get along pretty good one of them can read to the little one maybe i don't know like i mean get creative or even talk this is the perfect type of thing to talk about as a family too making a plan you know this conversation is so helpful for me too because it's bringing me back to a time when we had a ritual that i want to reinstate now that i'm remembering it <laughs> um where we would come home on after some of our weekend activities and I would announce that it was quiet time and it wasn't predictable. The kids would just be surprised by it. <laughs> and I think they kind of liked that element of surprise and quiet time meant in your rooms, just go do whatever you've got in your room. If you, if you want to go get coloring supplies, you can go get those because we don't store those there. Um, but otherwise all you've got is a big, I keep very sparse bedrooms. So that's it. It's just quiet time in your room. And I take quiet time in my room, no screens. I, even I don't get a screen. And I think they like that part of the rule too. <laughs> I open up a book with actual pages and I read just like they're doing. And we're all separated in our rooms for this quiet time. And I haven't done it in a long time, but um, now that our weekends are starting to return to what they were like pre-COVID, uh, that, that might be something I, I bring back because the, the reason I wanted to bring that up is because um, after quiet time was over, I would go to them and, and just be a little bit like, oh, wasn't that great? I feel so much better. I'm so glad we did quiet time. And that was another way that it made it feel to them like it wasn't a punishment. Um, I know you've got a great quiet time routine in your house too, Laura, but it's... Uh, we still do quiet time every... <laughs> I, I love this discussion because <laughs> I've got that kid. I totally do, Annie. <laughs> so, I mean, I Annie, obviously there's no clear answers, you know, super crystal clear answers. But I, I, I love, you seem very settled. Like I, your facial expression, you seem like you are, you know that your kid is doing the best that he can. And that's ultimately like, if we think about like what our goals are for our kids, I mean, having them know themselves and trust themselves and love themselves and advocate for themselves and and through that self-knowledge understand others and be compassionate towards others and advocate for others like those are the that's like the goal right and it's it's hard though it's a hard process it's not as easy as just doling out a consequence it would be so much easier if we could just do that yeah i mean in writing the question i guess I realized that it's not your usual, oh, this should be a natural consequence that you should have to clean up the rice because you're right. Like, it's not like he was doing it from a malicious place. Yeah, I really do think he was doing it from. So the um, natural consequence of throwing your rice is that your rice is on the floor. That's the natural consequence. The logical consequence would be like that you need to help mom clean it up, you know? or that you would be invited to help clean it up or that you'd have to wait to keep telling your story that you were telling to mom because mom's got to clean it up. There's lots, there's a variety of ways that we can do a logical consequence to that. But the, oh, so it's not, so that's not even a natural consequence is to have them. No. So a natural consequence takes no outside intervention. It's just what happens. So you leave a banana peel on the floor and step on it and slip and fall. That's the natural consequence. The logical consequence is if you drop your banana peel on the floor, your mom, you know, says you need to pick it up and you go pick it up before you move on with the rest of your day or your dad said, you know, um, um, you throw your rice on the floor. The natural consequence is that there's rice on the floor. A logical consequence might be that your mom takes that to mean you're done with your food and the meal is over. 
you know, so there's a, there's a variety of ways, but yes, yeah, so the, the natural consequences with no intervention whatsoever. Right. You know, but he's, he just, the, the knowledge and the peace that I have from knowing where he is and where he is and knowing that it's okay for me and my husband to not agree where he, what he's able to be at, like where, where my child is, is at in that moment has been huge and just a lot of compassion grace for everybody who is affected by this like family dynamic it, it's just it is like we're all in this like we're all this like organism who's like affected mm-hmm. and I will have you know that I was in such a zen place in the hours before I was like talking to a friend and she's like wow you look great I'm like I'm so calm everything is wonderful I'm like I was in such a good place then when my husband came home, he's like, you look awful. And I was really like, so I personally was so dysregulated. I was just, and, and he's like, he made a comment about like how not well I looked and I was not well because my son was not well, right? Like I, we mirror each other and I'm like, yeah, you say that, but it's because he's not like, look at him. He's a train wreck. He's like, he's probably a train wreck because you're a train wreck. I'm like, no, I'm not a train wreck. I, I'm a train wreck that we, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? But in this case, like he, it was just so heartbreaking for me to see him really struggling, you know, and it really affected me. You know, when we have the worries and fears and the little voice in our head saying, he's nine, he should be able to do this, you know, and the, what does this mean about me that I can't, like that my son can't, you know, like those voices are still there and they're not helpful. They, they're trying to be helpful, you know, they're trying their best, but they're not, <laughs> they're just not. I just... You know, at this point, I think at a juncture, um, like at a crossroads for how to best help him. And I really feel like he has impulses and I just want to help him in the best way that I can. I just like wish I could help him take the edge off of those impulses. And so we're doing therapy, but it's hard when there's like two parents that come from such different places, (laughs) right? Like, and so I just want to like, everybody wants what's best for their kids but there's just such different opinions. And so knowing that what I want and feeling what I want is one is the best and feeling like what my husband wants is might cause him damage and hurt him and cause him self-hatred and self-shame, which was how I had been approaching it until now. Mm -hmm. It's really painful. And I just don't know how to move forward. I'm just doing it the best that I can. Yeah, I think that's all we can ask of ourselves, you know, and and you're buffering that for, you know, he's getting an experience with you that's built with, uh, in compassion, you know. Um, and the only, you know, one of the big things we can do is model compassion too for ourselves, you know, self-compassion. Compassion for the the mom we were a year ago, a year and a half ago, Um, compassion for ourselves in the moment as we make mistakes which are bound to happen compassion for our partners who are also doing the best that they can with what they know yeah and compassion for our kiddos too Mm. yeah yeah thanks for the conversation annie i really appreciate it thank you guys this was really great hi wendy i see that you're here (laughs) um hi wendy Hi. Hi. Sorry, I'm so late. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to the replay on this because I hear myself in what what I did hear of what Annie was saying. So I, I'm excited to to go back through that and and hear the complete. Good. Was there anything that you wanted to chat about? Sorry that you're going through it, but but glad that we can share. Thank you. Um. So I had sent you an email very last minute. I don't know if you even got it about a situation going on with Danielle Mm -hmm. um, and her having some fear and anxiety that I'm wondering at this point, if it's becoming habit Mm. instead of actual fear, I, I know she was legitimately afraid. We had that, we had a tornado warning and then we had a Mm-hmm. Very soon after we had an evacuation at a hotel that was disconcerting fear, but now it's kind of almost like become a routine of every single evening. This has been maybe, I don't know, maybe a week, 10 days and she'll come to me and she'll be like, mommy, I'm still scared. 
Yeah. And I don't know if that's seeking out just some one-on-one time and some soothing and that sort of thing. Um, I do, because I am kind of a, okay, we've talked about that. Let's move on. I find myself getting less and less gentle with, I mean, you know, compassionate. So the first thing that I just want to suggest is if this is happening every night at bedtime, mommy, I'm still scared. I would really recommend getting proactive with this. And so maybe even like this afternoon when you pick her up from school, sit down with a snack and some Play-Doh or something that she likes to have her hands active with and, and make a plan for how she can feel safe at bedtime. Hey kiddo, I noticed it's been pretty hard for you to say goodnight, that you're still feeling scared. What's up? And just find out in like when she's not facing that yawning separation. Because when she's in the midst of that separation, when she's facing that separation, the anxiety ramps up and she can't be rational about it, right? And Honestly, like these are rational fears. She went to bed one night not too long ago, was woken in the middle of the night with alarms blaring and had to get out of her bed in an environment she wasn't used to, in a city she wasn't her home, and, and leave and go out of that place. That's a legitimately like scary experience. I don't know if you've ever been, had to go, leave a hotel in the middle of the night with a fire alarm. Yes, yeah. it, it definitely was. Yeah. And so like, it makes sense. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes sense to me that like, I think there's likely some grownups who would still like, feel a little anxiety about sleep after so, so soon after that happens. Okay. And so I would just be a little proactive about it and make a plan. How can we help you feel safe at bedtime? What would help you feel the safest? Um, she might also just needs, I don't know if she's been playing anything, but she just might need some play too. So she might need like some magnetiles set up like a hotel and some dolls just as like a little play invitation. And she might just need some play to process what happened. I don't know if she's done any play on those things. She always plays out scenarios. Um, and the other, she's kind of merging together with the point of the morning. And mm-hmm. we've talked at length about how tornadoes are incredibly rare, especially somewhere in Virginia. Oh, yeah. I've had one in my entire life. And so, and it was before she was born. So I'm trying to help her. Like when I ask her, how, what can we do to alleviate these fears? I, I don't know. And she doesn't know. I mean, she legitimately doesn't know. I don't know. So you don't want to, you don't want to phrase it negatively, like taking the fears away. You want to phrase, how can we make you feel safe in your bed? Yes. Well, and actually that is, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. I was, I always go with the mommy and daddy are gonna, you know, we're gonna be watching things. You know, we're going to know, and we're going to try to do our best to keep everybody safe. And, and that's the way that I kind of go at it. But she doesn't seem satisfied with, well, she wants to know exactly how we're going to keep her safe. And I go through, okay, we're going to go in the basement and we're going to, you know, and, and she just still wants more. Yeah. And I don't really know what else to say. (laughs) Yeah. So kids her age often like little, just little like signals. So um, kids, you know, kids who are going to bed know that their parents stay up later. Oftentimes they want to know when they go to bed. And so having a little signal that tells them that you're in bed nearby them, I don't know where your beds are. Um, that can be helpful. So like, you know, like if they, you leave their, her door open a crack, shutting it. So then when she wakes up in the night and sees that the door is shut, that she knows you're in bed and everything's fine and safe can be helpful. But it, what it comes down to, like, so the, it's so tricky with anxiety, right? So she's asking you to engage in this reassurance loop with her. And if she's then tends towards anxiety, then she can become reliant on, on it. Um, and then we start enabling a little bit. Yes. That's what I feel like we're doing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so like, oh, so when she comes to you and is thinking about, oh, you're thinking about the, the tornado or you're thinking about the hotel. Yeah. What can you remember? What can you tell yourself about that? You know, what have we talked about and helping her start redirecting those questions to herself? What have I said about that before? Oh, you're wondering how I can 
how we'll keep you safe. What do you know about how we keep you safe? And kind of re like redirecting it to her own knowledge. What can you say to yourself when you're feeling nervous about that? Okay, so you're laying in bed, you're thinking about those things. What could you say to yourself that would help you feel better? Um, and so giving specific little cues to that, um, you know, having a like a little object that it, like she knows has your love and protection in it, you know, that she can hold and have control over. Um, but giving her a little bit of ownership over those things can be helpful too. I don't know exactly, you know, if what you've tried, but those are my off the top of my head things. Okay. Okay. Do you have, a, <laughs> my husband said, he was like, you just always find a book. <laughs> like, do you have I mean, a book? I do. do you, have a book. I do have a book. <laughs> He thinks that's my solution to everything. I just find a book. And... I do have a book. <laughs> Anxiety Relief for Kids. <laughs> it's my favorite book okay. for anxious kids. Basically, it just teaches you how to do CBT, Cognitive Behavioral right. Therapy, with okay. your child. Um, so okay. it's super straightforward. It teaches you how to teach your kid about their anxious brain. Yeah, I was I was thinking, you know, isn't there a book that's written about a kid who's scared of tornadoes who well, who had a yeah. <laughs> I do have I do have a Maybe kid I book. should write this book. Maybe I should write this okay. as a book. So there we go. So there is a book um that I like that's by LeVar Burton. Do you remember him from Reading Rainbow? Did you guys <gasps> do Reading Rainbow? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Okay, so He's why I love uh, Right? Okay, so he's got a book called The Rhinoceros Who Swallowed a Storm. Um, yeah, it's like perfect. It sounds like a must read. Yeah, it's a, like a, about a, I think a, like a little mouse who's scared of storms because her house got <sighs> destroyed by a hurricane and just kind of the emotional processing of going through a natural disaster trauma kind of situation. Yes. Yeah. I will order that this afternoon. <laughs> that sounds perfect. And, and that will bring me back to my childhood. <laughs> Oh, no. I, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be now I need a, you, too. <laughs> well, no, I mean, just, just thinking about him. Oh, LeVar. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's my favorite. I can see the rainbow, like, oh, like the, the video yeah. graphic at the end. I, I can see it now <laughs> on the AV equipment that they rolled in on a cart. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. And then were you going to say something? Okay. Yeah, I'm so glad for your question, Wendy. It sounds so familiar because we just went through that this week leading up to this trip because um, I'm in Germany right now and for a week not far from uh, Wiesbaden, in fact. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> and wow. my kids knew that I was going on this trip. It's just for a week. It's for work. And we did a lot of connection type things before I left, you know, what will help you feel connected to mommy and when would be a good time to video chat with me. And here's my stuffed animal that you can hold on to. And I have, I'll keep your stuffed animal in my bag. And here's what I'm going to be wearing on Thursday. Do you want to wear something similar on Thursday? Like the, anything we could think of to be connected while we were apart. And no matter what I did, just like you, Wendy, she was just, I'm going to miss you. I don't want you to go. And she would have these just weepy meltdowns where I was really getting irritated at just, we are doing, I'm actively working on this and it's not helping. And I like, shut up, just get over it already inside. Right. <laughs> That's how I felt. And I felt terrible for feeling that way. Oh, We're human. <laughs> And on the outside, I was doing all the right things, right? I was building the connection that I knew she would need. Yeah, but yeah. Um, for me, the, the aha moment was that when I got on the airplane and I did a quick video chat, it was an illegal video chat, which she loves breaking the rules because <laughs> you were supposed to have your phone on airplane mode. And so I did this illegal video chat and I was like, I can't see how long, but I had to show you my plane seat because I had business class and look, my seat lays down and look at all this cool stuff and this cute little cup and bowl, right? So I just shared my joy of being in business class with her. And it was two minutes of a phone call and then hung up. And she sent a video afterwards, um, a video message saying that that was what she needed. She now feels so much better. And now I have a lot of questions about your trip. I want to know this. I don't want to know that. And she switched into intellectual mode and she wants to know everything. So it was adorable. It was really, really cute. And it, it, I put two and two together because um, 
I think part of what she was asking for in all of her weepiness that I couldn't quite get out of her and that I didn't detect was that she wanted information. She wanted to know where I was going to be. She wanted to know what city I was going to be in. And she wanted to know what my hotel room was going to look like and what bed I would be sleeping in. And she wanted all of those uncertainties filled in. And that's what anxiety is, right? It's, it's being uncomfortable right. with all of that uncertainty. <laughs> right. Um, so I know in other times I've supported her well through that anxiety by saying, well, even though I don't know those answers, I do know that it's going to be safe and comfortable and warm and, you know, that I'm going to have your stuffy with me. And, you know, even though I don't know this answer, here's what I do know. And in the end, I do know that you'll be okay, you know. And that kind of balance has helped her so much. And I, I wish that I had thought of all of that in all of her weepiness, because I think it would have made prepping for this trip a little less frustrating for me. And if I had recognized it for the anxiety that it was, but it was, uh, it was an aha moment for me to, to put that together. So it was just like your feelings though, exactly that, just shut up and get over it. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, we've talked about, you know, like we've literally said, virtually the same thing 10 days in a row now yes. <laughs> but I love Laura your suggestion that I'm just gonna pitch it back to her because like I said I've we've had the conversation 10 times so she has the information that the only answers that I can give because you know these are unknowns but the best answers I can give she has and so I'm just gonna ask her to remind me yeah. can you remind me what yeah. what we were going to do or what's going to happen actively yeah before she has a chance to have have yeah bubble up and then seek you out for the reassurance kind of doing it proactively yeah, yeah i love that yeah. idea wendy so and write yeah. them down yeah. sometimes kids write love them. it when you like interview them and take notes and right oh that's yeah. a great idea we're that's writing a, a storybook idea. that you can read before bed you know too like the story of of these things and then the story of like it we're gonna write a book i'm yeah. gonna write a book about love it. it the other thing i just want to mention for all of us too is that when we are in that moment of like feeling like our compassion draining and our ability to kind of sit with and reassure draining that can can sometimes be in a in a, a clue that we are in fix it mode and that our kids actually mm, yeah. don't feel seen and heard and held by us because we're trying to stop them from having the feeling, right? So if we're in fix-it mode, what fix-it mode conveys to kids is like, this is uncomfortable. I'm trying to stop it as fast as I can. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so if we get into that fix-it mode, then like just, just noticing like, am I trying to solve this problem here or am I trying to quell something that's uncomfortable within me because I'm uncomfortable with mm -hmm. their feelings about me leaving or I'm like freaking exhausted and I just want you to go to sleep. You know, like there's some, oftentimes there's things that need to happen within us too so that we can release our need for the thing to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fully support them in their feelings. You know what I mean? Apropos that, um, have you any of you read The Audacity to Be You? Mm -mm. No. Is it a book? Like oh my God. Stop what you're reading. <laughs> Order it now. It is going to change your life. I mean, I'm not even joking. It has been a game changer for me. I'm not done with it yet. I have two more chapters, but it's a game changer okay. for this group. <laughs> like, check it out complete enough it's it's exactly what you were just talking about laura like in related it talks about parenting and mm -hmm. your relationship with other people in general and the therapeutic relationship this is like right up this group's alley but it it really talks about honoring our children and who they are and not in like imparting our feelings onto them and this author actually he, he said, he's like, I'm almost hesitant to tell people not to do this, but I, I'm kind of of the opinion that we should really never tell our children how we feel because it almost is too much of a burden for them because sometimes they take ownership over it and then they try to change how they feel to, to carry to the feeling. This book is... Yeah. On that, I would argue game. that kids can tell how we feel. Whether we tell them or not, they can, most kids know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, look at what happened yeah. to my son. I wasn't saying anything, but it was all over my body language and everything. He's like, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation and exactly. give myself a timeout. I mean, but, it's better um, for us to be honest and then model self-regulation. I'm right. so frustrated right now. It's not your job or your responsibility to manage my frustration. I'm going to go take care of myself. Right. Right. Please don't yeah. destroy the house. <laughs> like I've been, I've been trying to, Liam, like my son right now has, last year he had an amazing teacher that no one can ever replicate. And this year his teacher is leaps and bounds worse. She is a problem for everyone, including my neurodiverse child, but for everybody. And um, he comes home and he's like, yes, yeah, she's really angry. And she yells a lot. And I'm, you know, I view this as a teaching moment for him. Like we're dealing with it, you know, on an adult level, but it's also a teaching moment for him because I want him to really understand that it's not him, it's her. And when adults yell, it's like, as long as he's doing the best that he can, in that moment, he needs to understand that, you know, sometimes it's what's going on in the adult, often, always, when an adult is yelling, it's what's going on for the adult. That's what I've been trying to explain to him since I joined this group that like, mommy has some shit to work out. And sometimes the teacher, you know, has some stuff to work out. So um, I hope that he's kind of, that stuff is resonating with him. Um, and he isn't really internalizing it when she yells, but hopefully they'll find a replacement soon. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's so hard. Okay. So, well, I'll let you all go. Thanks so much for your time and your vulnerability. I'm sending you all lots of uh, lots of love as we navigate these these waters with our kiddos. Thank you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, so thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review. That really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.